so Fran and I had this awesome opportunity about a month ago to go to Dublin, Ireland. Uh, if you have not seen, Providence uh, has a new airline, Norwegian, that is flying $99 direct from Providence to Dublin, which is a very cheap plane. We were thinking about going to Detroit, and then we figured out it was cheaper to go to Ireland, and we were like, well, Detroit or Ireland, what are we going to do, right? <laughs> and while we were there, um, we got to see a lot of the Christmas stuff um, get lit up. Uh, they had, we were, uh, our hotel was near a place called The Spire. It's a big stick that goes in the air. I'm not sure why they have it, but it's kind of a local landmark. And that is where their big Christmas tree and stuff is. And at the base of the big Dublin Christmas tree is this nativity scene. And uh, it took me a while to get a picture of it because there's a constantly people passing, right? And as they passed, I kind of watched them to see how they were reacting to it. Uh, obviously, there were some people that kind of looked at it like, we're still doing this, right? And there were other people who I saw one little lady, uh, one woman with her little baby, uh, not baby, three-year-old, four-year-old, whatever. And I could tell the child was kind of pointing and asking, like, why are there animals and there's a baby? And what's kind of the story of this scene? And I think the reality is we have reached a point where this has become another trope of Christmas, Okay, like fruitcakes and you'll shoot your eye out and holly and wreaths and all that kind of stuff, right? These are just, I mean, nativity scene is just something you've got at Christmas. And I think it feels very um, weird to us. It feels very foreign. I mean, it's literally foreign, right? That's part of the reason why it might feel that way. But I mean, there's just... There, there's animals and there's like weird guys dressed up with like turbans and stuff and there's camels and we just, it's just like, this is just odd. I always try to process Bible stories through the eyes of someone who maybe has never heard them. And I'm thinking of what does that scene look like and what does it mean if no one has ever walked you through what it's about? Because I think it probably looks pretty bizarre and at worst, it might feel very disconnected from the lives that we live. As I watched people kind of walking by, I tried to imagine stories of what might be going on in the lives of the people that passed by this nativity scene. Right? Um, there's a lot of, we saw a lot of police officers because, you know, it was just crowd control. They actually did a terrible job of crowd control. We were supposed to see a parade and they just gave up on the parade. I've never seen this. There was a road that was supposed to be open for the parade. The crowds got too large, and the police were like, eh, whatever, and they just quit. They just stopped mid-parade, <laughs> packed it up, and went I, I couldn't believe it. We didn't actually ever get to really see it. But um, I imagine just a police officer who just feels nervous about their job, who just walks by the scene. How would that scene mean anything to someone who lives with always a low-level fear about the world around them and about if something frightening might happen in their community. I wonder what it might mean to uh, that single mom that I saw with her kid. I don't know, maybe she was married. I'm making up a story. But you know, if you're a single mom living in the world by yourself trying to raise a child, what does this nativity scene mean? What does it look like? Um, if you're a lonely college student that is all by yourself and is literally walking the streets of Dublin because you've got nobody else to be with and nothing else to do. What does it mean to see this scene? If you're a refugee family who has just left a war-torn country 
and is trying to find a new home and a new place. What's it feel like? What does it mean to see this scene? So I'm going to do something that's kind of improbable and kind of unhelpful, but hopefully it will move us this way. I think it's an interesting way to pair the scene. I want to actually go to a nativity scene that has nothing to do with the nativity scene. We've been studying as a church the Gospel of John all year. And when you hear a sermon about Christmas, you usually hear from either Matthew or Luke. Those are the two books that tell us about Jesus' birth. But that's not totally accurate. John does it in his own very odd, very philosophical kind of way. And what I want to do is I want to look at John because we've been studying that. I want to take what he says about the coming of Jesus. And then I want to pair it with that scene and hopefully decode it a little bit for us so that it has a little more rich meaning to us as we, um, as we process things. Uh, this is John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, that doesn't feel particularly Christmassy, right? What are we talking about? What is going on here? So we're going to try to walk through this and just kind of decode it all a little bit and to show some of the meaning. We start with in the beginning. What does in the beginning mean? It means in the beginning, right? Like big bang, boom, nothing exists, all of a sudden something exists, right? All the way at the beginning of our cosmos, John says that there was the word. Well, what is that word? You know, what, what word are we talking about? Uh, this is the word here in Greek. It's logos or logos. All depending on, if you want to get nerds to argue, get a bunch of Greek nerds to talk about how to pronounce O's in Greek, okay? But logos, logos, I say logos, so that's what you can say too. And it's just, um, it's a word that means word, but it really has a deeper meaning in philosophical circles, okay? Um, it really started, the use of logos this way, started with a guy named Heraclitus, okay? Not a guy named Cletus, though they do have very similar beards, okay? That's Cletus, there's Heraclitus, similar beards, different guys. Heraclitus is a philosopher, and Heraclitus kind of spearheaded this use of the word logos as a philosophical category. Now, if you are a philosophy major like Cassie, you are about to criticize me for not understanding this philosophy super well, but I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible. The idea of the logos, or the word is this ancient idea of this, um, this principle, this energy, this structure that the world is built around, right? Kind of a, a cosmic glue that holds everything together. Um, this is, I mean, it's kind of weird for us, but when you think about it, sometimes we ask questions like, you know, like the earth, right, is perfectly situated from the sun so that we have life here, right? This is something we, uh, that, that, NASA is trying to figure out is other planets situated in the right spot so that they can have the right amount of light and heat and all that stuff for life. And we kind of go, well, why does that happen? And how is it that we have these awesome, perfect orbit circles that the planets move in? And uh, we talked about babies the other day. Why is it that babies don't breathe in the gook in the womb until they're born and there's like the switch that goes off and they change the way they respirate, right? And I think that Heraclitus and also people like the Greek Stoics, a, a Jewish philosopher named Philo of Alexandria, 
they would say that is the logos. That is the word. That is this cosmic glue that makes the world make sense and work and function and tick. That there is an underlining meaning and structure to existence. That we're not just some kind of chaos hurtling through space, but that some of it has direction and, and shape and meaning. And John picks up that philosophical category from his Greek friends, and he says, this logos, this thing that makes the world work, this cosmic glue, was with God from the very beginning. In fact, it was God. That there's this person, Jesus is the word, that kind of makes everything work and makes everything function. He then goes on to talk a little bit about this idea of light and darkness. And he says that this cosmic light, uh, this cosmic thing, this logos, this thing that makes the universe click is good and benevolent. And he, ha he brings light and he brings life and he brings goodness. And that in the world there is darkness, there is bad stuff, but the light always overcomes the darkness. All right, so you're probably starting to go, oh, this is a little... Uh, this is a little heady for me, Caleb. I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. Let me make it super simple. Um, John is telling us that there is kind of this ultimate glue to the universe, that it is divine, that it made us, and that it gives us life, and it gives us light, and that ultimately it overcomes darkness. To put it very, very simply, you're here on purpose, you're loved, and you don't have to be afraid. That's pretty powerful, right? Because there's a lot of times that we don't feel like we're here on purpose. We don't feel like anybody cares about us. And we're terrified of the world around us, right? And John, in this very beginning, goes, no, the entire universe is held together by this word that cares about you and will overcome the darkness in your life. And then he keeps going. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him... The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Uh, there's a lot we could unpack here, but I just, the basic thing here is, John says this word, this thing, this cosmic power that holds everything together, Jesus... When he came to earth, earth was not all that impressed with him. They left him out. They didn't, they didn't want him. The people that should have known him best didn't care for him. He was rejected. He was mistreated. Keeps going. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John says the thing that's really crazy about um, this cosmic thing, this logos, this glue that holds everything together, the crazy thing about Jesus is he was not content to sit up in the cosmos. He felt the need to live in your neighborhood, to put on flesh and to live with you. Right? Um, sometimes uh, living with somebody really matters, right? Right? Like, uh, imagine you're just, you, you, you had a new baby, and you really need help in the house. It's one thing for grandma or auntie or whoever to go, I'll come by for an hour or two. That's lovely. 
You know what really helps? When they say, I will live in your house for a night and keep the baby with me. Oh, what a glorious thing, right? Suddenly you can sleep. Suddenly there's help all the time, right? The things are so much better. You know, a lot of times uh, politicians will talk about what they want to do for the communities. And sometimes we're like, where do you live again? You don't live on my street. You don't live in my world. You don't have the same economic problems I have. You know, you, you have your nice little mansion and you just don't care about me, right? This is sometimes the way we feel about our, our political leaders. And what John says is God cared so much about your situation that he wasn't just going to sit up from heaven and look down on it. He wanted to live next door to it. If you've got a noisy neighbor who keeps you up at night, Jesus wanted to have the same noisy neighbor, okay? The, the little things, the mundane things, the difficult things, Jesus wanted to share. And in all of this, he says we see that he is full of grace and truth. Now, it's really easy to look at these as just abstract philosophical categories. I want to bring this to life as much as possible. Why do you need someone who is full of grace and truth? And we're going to talk about people who leave the toilet seat up, right? Let's imagine you have a spouse that is just bad about not putting the seat down. All right? You need somebody, you need to be able to have a conversation that is full of grace and truth, right? If you go to them and you go, you know what, I can't take this anymore. And they go, well, I don't know who did that. It must have been the cat, right? You know, like they're trying to like get somebody else blamed for it. They won't accept the truth of the situation. You are not going to get anywhere. You maybe have had the painful experience of trying to fix a relationship where the other person will not be honest about what's going on. And when we have problems, we need truth. We need people to take accountability. We need people to say, yes, I did that. I messed up. But on the flip side, you also need grace, too. Because what is the worst thing than to fight about this seat and to be on your spouse about it, and then the next week, you forget it? And they're like, ah ha Do you see what has happened here? Do you see where this seat is, right? And you're like, please, just show me a little bit of grace. It might sound silly, but it's a way I hope that illustrates the value that we need grace and truth. We need people who will be honest with us about the way things are, but will also give us a break when we mess up. And the Bible says Jesus comes full of grace and truth. He is going to speak to you reality, but do it in a way that loves you. All right, so some of you are sitting there going, it's Christmas, what are we doing? What is this all about? Okay, this has been very philosophical, very lovely. Uh, you know, thank you for the nerd things, but I really would like to talk about Christmas and why this matters. I think that John gives us here a nativity story. The story of the word becoming flesh is a Greek philosophical way to say the exact same thing we say when we sing away in a manger. And I want to go about it by kind of highlighting different parts. Okay, here's our nativity scene. Um, just to make sure everybody's up to date, we've got uh, Joseph, we've got Mary, we've got baby Jesus. We've got animals, uh, a couple of shepherds right here. This is an angel who's uh, declaring the coming of the Messiah. And then over here we have three wise men. As we said last week, I know there's not actually three of them. There may be two, there may be four. We only know that there's multiples and there's three gifts, but please don't be pedantic, okay? It's fine. Three wise men or magis or Eastern thinkers, right? And they have come to give 
gold, frankincense, and uh, myrrh to the baby Jesus. It seems like diapers would have been more helpful, but nonetheless, this is what he gets, right? And I just want to look at the phrases that John uses. We look at the magi, and we look at the star. This, this tells us, this is a sign, this is code, this is deep storytelling to talk about the cosmic nature of Jesus. Even the stars, the heavens above, are declaring this child who's come. And he has this universal appeal. He has these three men or four men or whoever who come from way far away and who are here to offer gifts because they've heard a prophecy and they know Jesus is coming. And there's all of this big level stuff, this big glorious story. And in that we hear John say, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of humanity. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Right? What better sign? Have you ever been on a, on a night where the stars and the moon are so bright it's not dark anymore? Right? Where it's such a beautifully glorious, uh, particularly when it snows. I don't think it snowed when Jesus was born because I think he was born in April, but that's another story. Anyways, but you know, like you've been on one of those nights where the, sun, the moon is so bright you can see everything. And it's that kind of a night where Jesus is born, right? To show that light overcomes darkness. Uh, let's go over here and look at our buddies, the shepherds. Uh, John says, the word became flesh and lived among us. Took up residence in our neighborhood. Uh, you may not know, shepherds are not great, awesome, wealthy, cool people in the ancient world. Shepherds, um, the best I can compare them to, and I mean no offense if you are one of these, um, the best I can compare them to is trash men, right? Not many of us thinks of trash collection as a great career. I hear it actually pays pretty well, but it's, it's stinky, right? You're on the back of a stinky truck, and you're picking up literally other people's garbage. And so in our society, not often do you see a kid say, I want to grow up and pick up trash for a living, right? This is the way that um, shepherds are, okay? Shepherds did a stinky Gross job dealing with animals that nobody wanted to deal with. They always smelled like poop, right? And here they are coming to Jesus. And it's a way, it's, it's a symbolic thing. When you see shepherds in the nativity, remember that Jesus chose to grow up in the poorest neighborhood he could find. That when it came to wealth and poverty, Jesus picked to be with the poor. He chose to be friends with people who were stinky and had crummy jobs and had nothing to their name because he wanted to live in our neighborhood, not some wealthy dude's neighborhood, but our neighborhood. Uh, let's talk about the angel. The angels come and they give these great declarations of peace and joy and goodwill to humans. Uh, and John says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? The angels are declaring, the one who brings grace and truth, the one who comes from God himself, is here. And these angels are the way to remind you that this is God coming in the flesh. And then we get to Mary and Joseph. Uh, he came to his own, um, but his own did not receive him. Right? We have this whole story of Jesus not finding, uh, Jesus' parents not having a room to stay in. They search for a place to be, and Jesus has ended up born in a manger. 
This is why we have all these animals around, right? There's no aunt or uncle or local person that takes them in. They are literally kind of cast off by an entire town. And that is where Jesus is born. And John tells us about that kind of rejection in his story. Um, I hope that when we see all those things together and we see this image, uh, hopefully this starts to peel back the layers, okay? It's not just about a baby and animals and cartoons and all that stuff. That in all of those images, you see the story John tells us about a power that controls the universe, that cares you so much that he wants to live in your neighborhood and struggle through your situations. Because it is not enough for God to merely fix your problems. He wants to be with you while he does it. This is truly one of the, the somewhat unique things about Christianity. There are lots of religions and there's lots of philosophies that talk about a God who comes and can be appeased or can be asked to fix their situation. But the story of Christmas is about a God who cannot merely fix. He must also sit with you. It's the difference between a parent that might send you a check to help you pay the rent and a parent that will talk to you for a half hour on the phone and then send the check, right? Do you have someone to be present with you? Uh, when we think back to these people walking by, um, for our police officer who's worried about his security and how he'll stay safe, he has a Jesus whose birth shows us that he was willing to put his safety aside to live in a situation of danger. For the uh, struggling mom, there's Jesus who desires to grow up as a poor child with not all the things that his friends have, right? For um, that lonely college student, you have a, a person who was literally born in a barn because nobody cared enough to take him in. For our refugee family, you have a child who moved from country to country asking for solace and safety from different nations because the forces that be in the country he was born wanted to kill him. And the story of Christmas is you're not by yourself in these things. We always sing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel means God is with us. Whatever you are dealing with, be it poverty, loneliness, danger, whatever it is that you're suffering, Jesus willfully chose to go from the glue of the universe to somebody who's in that exact spot that you are in. And they did that not just for some grand sign, but he wants to truly appreciate what it's like to live like you live. A lot of us just want to be known. This is what we talked about over and over in our series on John. So many of us just want somebody who gets us. And the story of Jesus is the story of a God who wants to know you so much that he was willing to suffer the things that you suffer. Um, it's my hope that that inspires you to live a life connected to that kind of God. To say, you want to walk beside me? I need somebody beside me. And that goes two ways, right? Uh, I'm of the belief that God 
really loves free will, right? And so if you say, I want nothing to do with you, he's not going to say, okay. Or he's not going to say, oh, yeah, you have to do it, right? He's not going to grab you. He's not going to strap you to his side. He's going to say, you know, as C.S. Lewis put it, there are two kinds of people. The people who look at God and say, your will be done, or the people whom God looks at and says, your will be done, right? The people who want to walk with him are the people who don't. It's my hope that you do, because I see beauty in this story. In a world where we see power and privilege abused all the time, we have the most powerful being in the universe that wants to become a little baby and live in a poor neighborhood and get born around donkey poo, right? That is weird. You cannot, like, we cannot soft pedal that and turn that into a Hallmark card. And it's my hope that you have the opportunity to walk with a God like that. And if you're interested more in that, we'd love for you to do that. We'd love for you to be here. At this church, we try to help people walk that walk. And there are dozens of us who have experienced it and said, this makes all the difference in my life. And we hope that it can make a difference in yours too. I forgot to mention this ahead of time. But we do a uh, question and answer period at the end of all of our sermons because we think it's important that you can talk back to me, that it's not just me talking at you. So if you have any questions about our text in John or the application or any other Christmassy stuff, I would be happy to answer those questions um, before we finish up our sermon time. So like the human, ver yeah, like when, so when does the person Jesus from Nazareth realize who he is? Um, it's a good question. Uh, we have a story about him and his teens hanging out in the temple and asking questions with the Jewish leadership. And it seems Mary kind of knows what's going on. How much she tells Jesus, we don't know. Uh, my personal take um, is that this baptism scene where Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, I have always taken that as Jesus confirmation. That up until then, he's like, I think I might be this guy. And then when he's baptized, he sees the spirit come down. He sees that confirmation and he goes, oh, okay. Yep, that's it. Like, I, to answer your question, I don't think he was four. And, Ma, you know, and Mary's like, put your blocks up, Jesus. And he's like, I'm the son of God. I'll do what I want. You know, like, I just, I don't think that's the way that goes down. I think there's a slow process. But I think we're supposed to read the gospels to understand that his baptism is this huge confirmation point that sets him off into his ministry. Other questions? Well, and that text starts lots of theological debate, so I won't go too deep into this. But um, even to this day, there are some Christian-ish groups that will say the word was a God, and there's debates about whether the word proceeds from God or if the word is co-eternal with God, right? So um, orthodox position on all this stuff has always been the word is Jesus, and the word is coexistent with God from the beginning. They're both there, and it's kind of this relationship. The technical terms are that there's three essences and one being. Um, or no, three beings and one Ooh, that was messed up. Three beings, don't strike me down. I'm not a heretic, I promise. I just forgot what I was saying. Three beings and one essence, right? Or three persons and one essence. Um, and that's really hard to un unpack. And it's... Um, I tend towards one way that's a little less than down the middle of the history of Christian thought on that. But, um, but yeah, it is very difficult. There's this sense, though, that, that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, but that he has a different will than the Father does, which is 
will than the Father, right? So when Jesus says, let this cup pass from me, he's, but your will be done, it suggests there's some kind of volition there, even though there's one being that uh, the different persons have. That's really a terrible answer to that, but that's a very complex question that we could talk about for a very long time. Yeah, I think there's definitely um, this idea in the Bible that the Holy Spirit then is the third kind of piece of this that gives us guidance and moves us. And certainly, even in that John passage, there's stuff about the people who accept Jesus and those who reject him. He talks about that, you know, he came into the world and some rejected him, but to those who received him, they received all of these blessings.